Aloha everybody and welcome to today's episode of The Link Up. Today we have a returning guest, the beautiful Kioni Lei Le'ali'ifano. Hello, Kioni Lei. Yes, aloha. <laughs> aloha, Maisha. So good to be back. Yay. <laughs> it's so good to have you here. Last time you were in, we talked about all things hula. And today I was really wanting to delve into the topic, um, different measures of success. And being as you are a tertiary educated woman with an undergrad in Hawaiian studies, as well as a master's in education, um, before we get into the nitty gritty of the topic, I thought it would be really cool to hear about your tertiary education journey, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, sure. I mean, you get to, I get to come on this show and tell everybody about all these different parts of me. But it's yeah. great. We love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, tertiary education, if you grew up in Hawaii, we actually always start from high school. Right. Okay. <laughs> so the question is, the question is always what school you went and that means what high school, because that kind of like gives a gauge of where you've been at. Right. But, um, but yeah, definitely... So um, then do we get to ask, what, is, what school did you go to? I know. Well, it might be controversial, to be honest. <laughs> I, I actually went to Punahou High okay. School. And um, there's a lot of rivalry around okay. schools in Hawaii. Punahou is definitely down on the list of being <laughs> consistently ridiculed. And yeah, but anyway... I like to say Obama, Barack Obama went to my high school, so it's not <laughs> well, all bad, go. is it? Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, no, tertiary, tertiary education, I actually got both my degrees from University of Hawaii at Manoa. Okay. And, but I, you know, had a journey getting there, and so I started off in Colorado mm -hmm. at the University of Colorado at Boulder, and that was really exciting. Mm -hmm. I actually started in environmental science there wow okay and um it was called like populational biology and anyway it was <laughs> I'm like okay can you explain that in easy english please <laughs> i basically took ap environmental science at my high school right. and absolutely fell in love with the content of what i was learning because mm. it was kind of like this westernized version of what i had been learning my whole life from my family right. and my especially my father um, around resource management and caring for the land mm. and caring for the world. And so I thought, oh, this is so cool. And so yeah. when I saw that Colorado offered um, this option to study populational, um, now I'm trying to think what the actual, the whole thing was. It had this long <laughs> organismic something, da, 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 um, biology. But it basically was a feeder into medical school, if you can imagine, oh, which was so okay. interesting. Yeah. And um, I mean, I understand the science aspect to it, but... Yeah, I guess because they had a lot of the same core subjects yes. or something like mm. that that you had to take. But I absolutely loved it. I was mm. up in the mountains in Colorado, hiking wow. through counting populations of um, prairie dogs and bunnies oh, wow. and all kinds of really interesting... Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I learned something new about you today. <laughs> <Right>? Wow. <laughs> Even I, I saw my first rattlesnake trying to count a okay. prairie dog um, population, yes, and totally froze because we have no snakes in Hawaii, so I didn't know how to yeah. act. And my professor literally saved my life wow. that day, yes. Um, but yeah, so I started off there. Long story short, you know, family obligations. My father fell ill, and so I came home mm. to Hawaii. Um, but 
it it really was a catalyst for me to continue right. continue down that road. And mm-hmm. so I did. I got my Bachelor of Arts mm-hmm. in Hawaiian Studies right. with a focus on environmental science nice. um, or the environment. And then as time would have it, and we can probably get into it a bit more, um, ended up completing my master's in education and teaching and specifically secondary. And you did some cross-creditation with New Zealand or Otago? Yeah, yeah. So we, for my bachelor's of arts, um, I ended up doing an exchange program with a couple other friends. Mm -hmm. We were so lucky to get the chance to actually do a comparative, excuse me, <clears throat> we did a comparative study. Right. We had been given basically a grant to do a comparative study between Maori studies and Hawaiian studies. Wow. And so, Interesting. Yeah. So we were sent with a bit of a bit of kala, a bit of cash to go there yeah. and take the core subjects in Maori studies, right. which we went to Otago. So that's where we ended up um, mm. studying. And then we were meant to come back and give a presentation on wow. the similarities and differences. And so I was already kind of coming here to Aotearoa to, with that with that um, intention to see how we were similar yeah. and how we had things in common and, and why were things different. Yeah. And just on a funny note, I put down everything to the weather. We're only different because it's so darn cold here. <laughs> And that's the only reason we changed. No, but anyway, it was a really cool. Um, it was actually only a semester, but okay. obviously it changed my life because somehow I'm here, which is a whole other story. But yeah. I love that it changed your life. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't have been here and I wouldn't have met you. So I'm very glad for that semester. <laughs> yes, yes. Life-changing semester. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. So that's, I guess, a bit of your tertiary education, which I guess can be seen as a measure of success. But being as we're talking about this topic, about how we measure success in a Western, from a Western lens, or even from a Pacifica lens, it'll be cool to delve into what that could look like in our communities, I guess. Mm. Um so, yeah, let's just dive into it. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, I think it's something, it's a conversation I have a lot of times with um, some of the students I work with, young mm-hmm. people, you mm-hmm. know, teenagers and things, about we we have this identity as Pacifica people mm-hmm. and what that says about us. But then there's also our home cultures. And mm-hmm. even within home to home, we have different measures of success and what mm-hmm. that looks like, you know. And it's the same way in Hawaii, for sure. We have, I I grew up in a home where completing tertiary education and co- going on to higher education was the measure. Right. You know, and if you didn't do it, it was frowned upon. And, um, and that was just how my grandma raised us, you know. Right. That was her intention for all of us was to complete. <clears throat> but in saying that, my... Um, you know, my mom's older sister was actually the first to complete college. Mm. And so it wasn't uh, like it. there was a precedent that was sent, yeah. set, excuse me. It was, this was still a goal, it was still like a lofty mm. goal at that time. But it was something so ingrained and so communicated that this was, this was the only way to show yeah. success, you know. But definitely as a young person, I... 
I kicked against that idea. Mm. You know, I wasn't, didn't fully buy into it. Hence why I said, you know, getting my master's in education just kind of happened. <laughs> Um, my whole family are educators, backstory. Yeah. My mom, my, you know, everyone. Everyone's a teacher of some kind. And um, I swore I wouldn't ever be a teacher. Wow. <laughs> I didn't want to be a teacher. So do you laugh at that? Is it like a family joke that you're now? Oh, like... it's, it's, a, it's a funny joke because... Everyone in my generation basically said the same thing as me. I don't want to be a teacher because, you know, all the aunties, the uncles, everybody's a teacher. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. We're all teachers. <laughs> my sister, me, love my older cousin, we're all teachers in one shape or form. Um, but, yeah, funny story is that I really just didn't want to even apply for the master's program. And mm. somehow my mom got all involved and... I just got dropped off at the praxis and was told, go into that room and do what you need to do. So I didn't study. Right. You know, like there's there's really, we all have our different stories about how we end up being where we're supposed to be. Yeah. And some of us need to be forced and some of us go willingly, <laughs> you know, but it's, it, it's definitely something to be said about our support systems right. and our families. Um, I think when I think of that, I think that's a... That's success, mm. that our family could come together and encourage this wayward <laughs> soul and get me there and get me to school. Mm. And I'm sure there's a lot of stories like that in our Pacific communities mm. where it's taken a village. It's taken a village to Absolutely. complete that degree or to get that job or mm. whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely know um, through my community work I've seen – measures of success which are focused on tertiary education mm. but then being on the ground level and seeing the different lived realities of people and realizing that we don't all have the same start it mm. really opens up your world and opens up your eyes to what measures of success can actually look like for different groups and how you were mentioning like um, it can change from family to family. Mm -hmm. And I know even within my own family and my extended family, measures of success look different for all of us. Mm -hmm. So my immediate family might really uphold academic success as a measure, but then I might have extended family who hold their uh, sportsmanship and their athleticism up as their measure of success. So I really think the measure is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. Um, but also I think for a long time, especially if you look at it from what we like to term nowadays as a colonized perspective, <laughs> like we do hold up these measures of success that are Western, but perhaps aren't necessarily as applicable to us as Polynesian people, Pacifica people with such huge backstories and huge traditions that are very different in how we measure success. I mean, take village life, for example, like you, every, everybody has a role to play within the village and a thriving village is a measure of success. Yeah. So it can look very different depending on where you start. 
Um, definitely. Yeah. I definitely. Yeah. hundred percent. I think, yeah, it's interesting you mention all those things because I think I've had the privilege of seeing both in my mm. family and also being ex- expected to achieve both mm. measures, you know, of yeah. success in my lifetime. I, so as I mentioned, the high school I went mm. to, um, basically it's this snobby, snob, <laughs> you know, it's, it's viewed as this snobby private school in okay. Hawaii. Right. Um, it's not though. There's some of the most amazing people you've ever met. Went there I love how you're like, it's not. I went there, so it's not. Uh, but no, I mean, it has that reputation, yeah. you know. But for my family, the reputation that the only reputation that mattered was that I would be successful right. if I went to that school, right? So right. I would go to that school and I would be surrounded with people who weren't like me, mm. right? So I was one of six Hawaiians there. Wow, okay. Um, Shocks. You know, in in my grade, I mean, Mm. so that's out of 400-something people. There were probably more Hawaiians, but maybe they just didn't claim it. Mm. I don't know. Um, But, you know, it was heavily uh, white or Asian population at the school. But, you know, the the thought was that you go to schools like this and you build networks Mm. with these people so that when you go into the workplaces and you're out in the job market and so on it's easier to get these jobs and to get into these networks and for my family particularly it was about um learning what they know so that we i could bring it back Mm. to my community and apply it into that space and ensure that we had success Mm. in those areas just like um you know these other populations had in our own home but it's interesting you do say that, that the measure of success looks very different when we start to think about it in a, in a cultural sense. Mm-hmm. And um, like, for example, the, the village, mm-hmm. you know, you think about the uncle who goes out and catches hundreds of fish yeah. and is able to feed hundreds of people and bring that food back and that sustenance for Mm. this entire community and has that richness to even share you know that's a huge part of our culture in Hawaii still Mm. you know like my mom them will come home from work and there'll be a bag of taro and a some fish outside you know they don't even know who brought it you know but it's that community and that richness Mm. you know those kinds of things you can't you can't teach that anymore. No. You can't, you know, people are not expecting that kind of generosity. But that I see is success in a community that mm. we can provide for each other and share with each other. Yeah. Um, but those aren't things you learn in school. Exactly. <laughs> they aren't. Yeah. But the but in saying that there are protocols and pedagogy and methodology and even apprenticeship if you want to go there Mm. in learning these things as well so I mean they're still just as structured Mm. I would say as an institution to acquire that kind of knowledge whether it be you know fishing or farming or you know these indigenous pathways of knowledge there's still Mm. there's still protocols around how you receive that yeah and I think even when you think of measures of success um I guess I'm like, is that a, is it a very Western mentality when you 
want to know what measures of success are or do we actually have it in our own traditions and our own people because I wouldn't necessarily say that we measure things by our successes like in my own family Mm -hmm. dynamics it's more so when you see you've grown from who you were and grown for the better and where you um, are giving back that for me is success or that for me is growth that I'm actually being um, a good citizen who is actively taking part in society Mm. and wanting to make it the world a better place. Um, That is a really interesting take on it as well. Uh, Yeah. If I think about it in traditional sort of setups, Um, I think we definitely strove or strived. Yeah, I don't know, (laughs) but I get what you're saying. We definitely strived for excellence. I mean, at least in in Hawaiian mentality, we have many proverbs that actually talk about striving for the summit. So trying to get to the top of the mountain or, you know, they exist. So obviously there was... I believe it's mm-hmm. a it's a integral part of our culture to yes. do things with excellence to complete them at the highest standard. Absolutely, um, I think it definitely exists in our cultures. But I mm. think you're absolutely right that it wasn't about measuring it. Yeah, you know, because I think it was this collective, this idea of the collective, and right? it was a collective excellence that mm. the everyone strived towards that. Well, and the, I guess maybe the, the measure of success was that your community was healthy. Yes. So from the ali'i or the yeah. chief all the way down to the makainana or commoner, mm. you had, the measure of success was that you were in harmony. Right. Right. That everything was working well. And, right. I mean, that's what I'm kind of thinking. That's where yeah. my mind's going with that. Because I remember we'd had a conversation Um, a while ago it's probably years now where we were talking about Hawaiian time and the actual meaning behind it and I loved how you shared with me that the whole thing with Hawaiian time was when westernism came to the shores of Hawaii they would want things built by a certain time yeah in Hawaiian culture it was like no you built it and it was ready when it was ready so you couldn't put a timeline on it and yet when people have timelines on things it not only erodes the process and the artistic creation but it can really limit what needs to happen in the time that well, it needs and to it happen can in. limit the excellence in the work mm. right I mean I have to give my mom some credit definitely yeah. for these thoughts because these are ideas that have been drilled into me but you know it's like island time Mm. people say it here as well and island time is always this really derogatory term like why are you always late right you on island time or you late so you know you know but what my mom would always remind me is like you think about the elders the kupuna are they late to these events uh no they're like two hours early you know a lot of times they're waiting in the parking lot Mm. like it's it's not really a reflection of who we are, that idea. And and it's like it's like you were saying, you know, that there was this expectation that we were gonna follow this time block. Mm. But really it was about completing it 
to the best of your ability yeah. and to create something that was done with aloha and mayo or like you know craftsmanship mm. and and done properly you know like yeah. we think i i follow some really amazing hawaiian cultural practitioners on instagram mm. and whatnot and i love when they bring up the stories about you know like say they're weaving or something yes. like that and they'll have a student ask like oh if it's not like perfect can i still sell it or like can i yeah. you know and the question, you know, they just get this look yeah. like, what do you think? Yeah. You know, what is the answer to that question? Although that might be viewed differently in in a Western way, you yeah. know, like, oh, no, we can just we just get it done. We just yeah. get a few things done. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. And that's not actually how a lot mm. of our Pacific cultures work mm. you know we do it right and when it's not done right you take it all out and you yeah. start again and or else that might be just a hawaiian thing but i know it's a painful yeah. it's a painful thing when you've worked so hard and there's just one little mistake in there and you have to undo and you have to undo everything because mm. it's just not done to the level yeah. of excellence that was expected yeah and i remember because we were having this conversation because i was feeling really down about my hula like i'd gotten recently injured and I was just like, I'm not dancing the way I used to. I can't even dance at the moment. And you're like, your time will come. It'll happen when it's meant to happen. You will. You are on this journey and it doesn't stop. So you just keep going. And when you can do it again, you will continue to grow in this area. And it just gave me this real sense of peace and knowing that this will come to pass when it's meant to come to pass mm. and it gives you this understanding or this knowledge that you know I will get to a stage where I can say I understand this to the core of my being but this is part of the journey and yeah. when there's no time limits on it and when you're not having to measure it or putting on these constraints like do it by now or you failed it just gave me such a sense of relief, but also a sense of, okay, I can just enjoy my hula knowing that maybe my body isn't up to it right now, but I will get back to a space where I will be able to experience the enjoyment physically one day. Yeah. Well, yeah. what you're talking about too are two different kinds of... Um, badges of honor, I guess, or there are two different kinds of knowledge that we hold, right? Yeah. So you talk about a bachelor's of arts mm. or a master's in something, right? Mm. I mean, people still have a lot of stress around completing their mm. PhDs and their, you know, yeah. masters and trying to get it done by a certain time. But the truth of the matter is, is you can get your master's in education and then get your degree and decide tomorrow you don't want to teach Mm. Or you don't want to be an educator or you don't want to work in that field anymore. Right. And you can move, right? Another career, another thing. Mm. But when you talk about these indigenous measures of, I guess, success, but participation in culture and being yeah. a part of this collective, you can't just decide tomorrow, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm. Or that's not part of me, you yeah. know? And so for me, like, when you get that recognition in your cultural spaces, mm. 
it means a lot more because it's not something you walk away from or yeah. you can walk away from. And that's what's different about the two of them is mm. the sense of responsibility. Yes. And, um, yeah, you can't teach that. Yeah. And so, you know, when people say things like, oh, we need to we need to make sure this person gets a some recognition, a PhD or something or else, you know, they won't be respected or whatever. It saddens me because yeah. I can see, I can see how much more really mm. these more cultural, well, these cultural practitioners respect and care for the knowledge that is in their possession yes. than someone who received a degree, even yeah. though they work super hard for that yeah, degree. Yeah, and I'm not taking away from not that either. Not taking away from that, but... Because that is hard work. Those three <laughs> to four years of getting that undergraduate degree are hard. No, it is, and it's a sacrifice, and mm -hmm. it's all those things. Mm -hmm. But like I said, it lacks the responsibility, that mm. civil responsibility to that to area. Continue. To continue. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, but... You know, I think it's also the way I was raised. Mm -hmm. It's my lived experience that I do. I'm, I, I am one of those people who support the whole honorary PhD yeah. situations for some of our greatest masters of cultural knowledge and right. cultural practitioners because I feel like, yeah, they don't need it. Yeah. They don't need to be doctor or whatever to still be respected by our communities. Yeah. However... They, they kind of need it to be respected by other communities. By Western communities. Exactly. And it's important for them to have that so that they can navigate those spaces mm. and be respected for who they actually are. Right. And unfortunately, you know, they don't always go together. And mm. it's not always something that everybody understands. Yeah. And I even think when you're talking about measures of success and even within society, there are different, you have... Um, different socioeconomics and I attended um, the Hikoi Nation Gang Hui I think it was in early March or around March um, and I remember sitting in this space where you had all these big gangs of New Zealand so you had like the Cookie Squad, the 501s, the mongrel wow. mob and you know I'm sitting on a table with these people and I'm like how did I get here <laughs> but listening to their stories because it was about the um royal inquiry into abuse and care mm. and I was sitting and listening to their stories and they were absolutely heartbreaking these kids had been taken from their homes you know, and put into care for five to ten years where they had been abused, tortured, you name it, everything that could possibly make you go wrong, it mm. had happened. And gang culture ended up being the place where they could feel accepted because it was, it was still a similar environment, but there was camaraderie there. Mm. And I'm listening to these people and their stories and how they've overcome. Some people have done hard time. They've come out. And now they're running their own businesses. Now they're creating spaces for other people or other people within their gang communities to be rehabbed and to now be citizens that actively participate in society in a positive way and in a way that actually makes them feel seen as people. 
And I was like, even that's a measure of success that you can't really measure. measure. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? And I'm just like, well, I listen. Well, the whole thing is, is because it's, it's not really meant to be measured, right? Exactly. Like, it's it's done with this aspect of aloha yeah. in it, right? Like this giving back. And it's interesting you say that because sometimes I'll see, like, you know, the good sorts on the news yeah. or those kinds of things. And sometimes I'll be like, they're on the news. Like, <laughs> I'm not trying yeah. to be mean yeah. and I'm not going to name any, like, sort of stories that I've sort of cocked my head yeah. at or whatever. But there have been some good sorts that I'm like, like, there's so many people doing some really amazing things right. that unfortunately maybe are not getting the airtime that they should be getting because mm. of their race or, or because, because of, of their, their association. Association or, or because where of they where come they come from. from. Exactly. It's like, and we know this exists. Yeah. Like, we know it exists in media. It, we know it exists in our society. You know, you yeah. think about New Zealander of the Year or those kinds right. of awards. Like, we all know amazing people doing things quietly. Yes. Right? Just trudging away and just for the betterment of our communities. Yeah. And um, and sometimes, yes, you want to shout their names from the rooftops mm. and you want everybody to know, you know, but yeah. is that really what we require? Like, that's yeah. my question is, sure. do we really require that? Or are we wanting that because we want someone else to see us that way? And it's it's yeah. this it's this conversation I actually recently just had with a group of youth that I was training around leadership, mm. and we talked about our identities. We were mm. talking about um, you know attributes that identify us, and so we wrote a few down. And then I said, okay, tell me a little bit about your beliefs and um, the standards and your behaviors that you think are associated with these particular attributes. And mm. so we, we picked Brown. Okay. Brown was this one that we were kind of focused on. And it was really interesting. So they all start, it's this, Creating it's that. Brown says talking. this yeah. about me. Brown is this, blah, blah. But I'm going to be totally honest. Most of the ideas coming out were how others see Brown. Right. Right. So as we're having this conversation, one of the young people have this aha moment, and it was beautiful. Um, and he was like, I find it really interesting how it's so easy for us to think about how other people see brown. And we know what other means. Yeah. Not brown people. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy for us to talk about what they think brown means. Yeah. But it's so hard for us to say what we think brown means. Mm. And I'm like, okay, so let's talk about that, you know? Yeah. And it was an amazing, in the end, it was this amazing conversation that we had around basically visualizing and closing our eyes mm -hmm. and really asking ourselves, what does that attribute say about us? Yeah. When I say I'm brown, don't think about what anyone else is thinking brown means. What mm. do you think it means? And some of the answers that came out were just amazing, you know? And a lot of them centered around community. Mm. A lot of the ideas that were being thrown out were centered around love and right. um, acceptance and mm. being a part of a collective and part of a whole and just 
those are the things we don't focus on. A yeah. lot of times we're focusing on how others are seeing us. And that's where this whole measure of success conversation mm. starts getting messy. Yeah. Because we're always thinking about how others are viewing us. Yeah. Instead of how we see ourselves and how we hold ourselves in in. Society. I mean, I know that a lot of the conversations that I grew up around or even that I've heard is you, they won't listen to you unless you have a paper mm. and they're not going to take you serious unless you have credentials. And I'm just like, okay, well, whose credentials are we talking about? Because then it becomes like, is that the standard then? Mm. Because if that becomes the standard, then what about all the other things that I would personally or someone else would personally measure success with? Well, some people's success is being able to put food on the table for their kids mm -hmm. and make sure they don't go hungry at night and they have a roof over the head and mm -hmm. they're warm and the power bill is paid. I mean, unfortunately, it is the measure. Yeah. Like, there's no question about it. You know, it's... It's hard to prove your worth without those things in this society. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's right. You know? Yeah. But but it is like if we think about the reality, it really is, unfortunately. And and to me it's like, okay, then the next question is whose responsibility is it to change that narrative? Right. And really it's up to us. Yes. You know, I mean nobody else is gonna do it. Mm. And yeah, so it's it's, it's a funny thing to think about because, I mean, it goes back to what I said. Like, does it really matter, though? Like, if we know, though, then we know. Yeah, we absolutely. Know. But then if we know, like you said, <laughs> we know, but then what happens when we're trying to get into spaces exactly. that are being gatekeeper or gatekeeped? I don't know. How do you say that word? <laughs> when you gatekeep spaces, how are you meant to enter them if the only measure of success that they accept is what it is? I mean, take... Yeah. take I would say the answer, though, is advocacy. Yes. And you know, uh, yeah. because you think about... I, You think about professionals today who maybe they've followed that very traditional way of gaining their education mm. in a certain way, gaining those measures of success and credentials in that very traditional way, but yet understand that there's so much more richness and depth mm. in knowing things. They're the people that we require to be in those key spaces to then advocate for these kinds of people to come in. Yeah. And I, I've seen it done. I've seen right. it done in all kinds of different spaces. You know, I think about the high school I went to, mm -hmm. <laughs> for example. Um, if, you, if you say you strive for excellence, if you say that you have only the best of the best, mm -hmm. then, you know, you play towards that idea, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't, you need to hire a kumuhula, for example. You mm -hmm. have to hire someone who has the credentials in that, area of expertise right. which you don't get it from a degree mm. so you, exactly. you've you got to you've got to go to this other route but mm. that conversation would have never been had if there wasn't someone already in that space advocating mm. for these more cultural pathways and 
cultural knowledge pathways to be acknowledged, mm. you know? And so we need that allyship and that advocacy in these spaces. And even in workplaces I've seen it done, you know, mm. you have people coming in doing trainings for staff to help them understand more cultural ideas. You can't mm. bring just, you can't always find someone who can do that who has a degree and so on, you know? It's yeah, sometimes it's true. this person who is a cultural practitioner that you just need that kind of knowledge, but nobody will know unless somebody says, yeah. advocates for them. Sure. Well, it's a real conversation we've got to have because our world is changing, mm. you know? I mean, even us doing this right now, yeah. this is something that never would have been done just five years ago, really. Yeah. And we've got to change our perspective on on what's successful for the betterment and of our children mm -hmm. and their generation yeah because they're the world they're going to grow up in is so different i it mean is, they're already finding so different i mean and already you are you're having people with bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and so on out of work yes. can't find work because they're overqualified for a particular job or yeah. people don't want to pay them or whatever the reasons might be. But mm. the fact that someone who is has multiple degrees can yeah. be out of work is mind-boggling to the idea that you and I got ingrained into our brains growing up, which yeah. was you need a degree to get a job or you need a degree to be successful You have in any to have way. paper to make them see you. Exactly. And then you think about where we're at right now where there's multiple people with huge student loans and degrees to show but don't still don't have a job. Yeah. So what does that say about our society? It's changing. You know, we've got it to is. change. We've got to Absolutely. Because the need is different now. And what the newer generations are finding is they don't want to work a 9 to 5. Mm. And I, I think when the newer generations don't want to work a nine-to-five, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think work ethic is still very key. Mm. And I think having a good work ethic is still a good thing. It doesn't mean you have to work nine-to-five, but you still, in your way, have to hustle to get to the places where you want to be. Um, yeah. So I think those things are still important. But it just looks different now. Totally. Well, I mean, they do say that the people of the Pacific, right, were scientists and mm. we were engineers. We were entrepreneurs, yeah. the original entrepreneurs. And I always laugh um, when I think, of, well, I have a few friends who have kind of left their nine to fives corporate jobs yeah. and kind of opened their own businesses and so on. They're like, yeah, I left my nine to five to go home and work 24 seven. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to work less. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just going to look different. Yeah. You're going to work at different times and you might be working all day, you know, but you're absolutely right. The work ethic isn't what disappears. Yes. It's the, it's the structure. It's the system. Mm. It's this limiting idea that it should only exist in this one yeah, way like and this done. box yeah exactly it, it has to be one size fits all where we're finding actually that doesn't apply at all no. it never did but now it's like we're just gonna take that box and rip it apart and turn it into a car <laughs> <laughs> like it's just totally like you just look at things 
so different now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think there were quite a few factors that have kind of <laughs> forced yes forced us as a society to. Well, definitely as a Western society. Definitely. I mean, and yeah. Even in our Pacific cultures, obviously, we have had a lot of, I guess, colonization or Western perspectives come in. Mm -hmm. But we've also got a lot of traditions and a lot of our ethnic standards that we still hold to as well. Definitely. And I think a lot of indigenous peoples all around the world have been screaming at the top of their lungs that this doesn't work. Yes. You know, and I think a lot of times our communities have been viewed as just complainers, like we're complaining about wrongs that were hundreds of years ago, like get over it or whatever that ridiculousness is that they say. But that's not why all of these indigenous people have been screaming out. Yeah, it's, it's like you're finally listening. There's yeah. a difference. <laughs> and the reason why they're outraged is because of that love for land, love mm. for collective, love for community, and mm. knowing that this is not the way. Extractive culture and, at least in Hawaii as well, extractive tourism, like all yeah. of these things are not the way forward. Mm. You know, it's, it's totally. not sustainable. Mm. And I love... Um, I love hearing different perspectives from different indigenous peoples because there's always a common thread there around an ability to to work together without always needing to be in competition. And I think that's another thing to say about success is Mm. that a lot of times in a Western way, success Mm. is, is very connected to competition. Yes. And only one can win and someone has to lose Mm. kind of a thing. But that's not always, right? That's not the truth. And we know that Mm. whether whether we're indigenous peoples or not, we know that we can work together, we can be a team, we can win as a collective, and it feels great. I mean, even take Mary Monarch. Yes, it is a competition, but we get to see the beauty of all these different art forms and all these different halals come together and actually share all their knowledge with everybody around mm-hmm. the world. And for me, that's that's beautiful. And yeah. no one loses out. Like, yes, they have placings, but in terms of what's shared, it leaves you in awe of, like, the beauty that and, can come out of those spaces. And in terms of what's shared exactly is perpetuation of culture. Mm. And at the end of the day, everything that's been shared is doing that, right? We're yes. all serving that purpose, yeah. whether there was a competition or not. It's mm. like all of these things were shared and continued. Yes. Another year of continuing being ourselves and speaking our language and coming together as communities. Mm. It's, it is a beautiful thing. Mm. And, yeah, I think I, I pray that our world heads closer in that direction yeah, of totally. you know working together mm-hmm. and I, I know that there are non-indigenous peoples around the world yeah. who want it as well it's just up to all of us to collaborate and come together yeah and and there's room success. for everybody <laughs> yeah it is but there's yeah. actually room for everybody there's room for everybody to shine you don't need 
to have a spotlight on just one person. Mm. Everybody can have their moment. Everybody can move forward together as a collective, as a society. But it it actually takes an openness and a willingness to understand and see others for who they are as opposed to boxing them in mm. to perhaps just what you see of them. Yeah, and I'm always like, go back to the idea of trusting ancient wisdom. <laughs> you know, we, in a world where innovation is put up here mm. and cre creativity and all of that is kind of held in this high space of mm. finding new ways to do something. Yeah. Sometimes some of the old ways are good too. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and it doesn't mean that you're a traditionalist or conservative or like you don't want to move into the future. You know, no, it's that some of this ancient wisdom around how we care for our communities and care for our world mm. are actually really wise. Yeah. Like it's actually a good way to go forward. And yeah. even within all of that, there was so much innovation mm. in how we operated and how we made these systems better. But yeah. it's the it's the value system that's missing. Yeah. The value systems between indigenous ways of seeing the world and more Western society are skewed. Mm. And that's really what's leading us in these these different directions. Right. And and ultimately, that's why we see all these measures of success being so different as well because mm. of that value system. Yeah. What's important? And they're not the same on both sides. And they aren't in terms of values, morals, principles. I know mm. for me, being a woman of faith and um, even just the things that I hold dear aren't necessarily what someone else would hold dear. Mm. But that doesn't make their lived reality any less worthy of respect mm. and any less worthy of being seen. Like, so it's about actually coming together on the things that we can come together and move forward on and for the things that we can agree to disagree on, that's okay as well. It doesn't mean we can't st still move forward. It doesn't mean we can't still lead in love and lead with grace and just walk through life together. Okay, well, that <laughs> has been an amazing conversation, one for the books definitely, on different measures of success. And obviously, with all conversations we have here at The Link Up, uh, we're talking about being able to have conversations that perhaps aren't as normalized but that need to be had and so um before we wrap up do you have some final thoughts that you want to share Kiani <laughs> yeah I I totally agree with what you said about the conversations you know mm -hmm. it's not everybody will necessarily agree because their experience has been different yeah and that's totally cool. And it's great when you actually talk to someone who maybe doesn't agree with you. Because yeah, then it challenges what you think. Yeah, you get to agitate each other, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you also get to share ideas and learn. And you don't have to agree with that perspective, but you've learned a new one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think one last thing I would love to share is about um, a graduate advisor I had during my master's um, while I was doing my master's. And she's actually from Aotearoa, wow. and, um, but was there in yeah. Hawaii um, advising us. 
But one of the most aha moments I had with her as we were kind of putting together the dissertation and really learning how to follow this very traditional process of getting a thesis done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the first steps are kind of doing your literary review. So you're kind of pulling together all the things that have already been said about whatever you're going to say and whether it proved your point right or whether it was against it. You know, you're just sharing what's already been said. And something she said that really stayed with me was, you know, we were we were all Native Hawaiian students in this cohort focused on Native Hawaiian education and an approach to education that really uplifted and edified our experience and all of those things. That's awesome. And yeah, it was it was pretty cool. All the people I, I yeah. Anyway, think about that cohort often and how wonderful all those people I got to spend that time with was were. And but anyway, something she said was. Your experience, when you write it yourself, when you're sharing the knowledge that's been shared with you and and even just your experience, how you lived your life, Mm. you know, there's been books written for hundreds of years in this way, but by someone else watching us. And so when we are able to share from our own perspective, Mm. first, you know, from our point of view, first person, Mm. first hand, how valuable is that information? You think about it. That's what she asked us. You think mm-hmm. about it. You're providing a resource for people that is far, far outweighs anything that's been written before about us. Right. But you're actually sharing. You're sharing from the source and it yeah. can't get better than that. It really can't. And so that was a good reminder for all of us mm-hmm. when we were approaching this work to trust, to trust that our experiences and what we held to be true and what we knew to be true were an important thing to share Mm. and to write down. Yeah. And I will say that um, that was probably one of the most empowering moments in my education. Yeah. um, Up until that point, definitely. You know, because I had been going to school, always being consistently told that if it wasn't already written in a textbook or if it wasn't already in a book, then we'll find the facts. Yeah. Prove it or whatever it is. Which is hard when you come from oral tradition. Yes. When you come from cultures that pass down everything orally. We don't write them down. Exactly. So that didn't really apply. And so Mm. there were so many moments when I almost felt I couldn't. I couldn't edify, I couldn't empower my own culture in some of these conversations because mm-hmm. there wasn't a book that was already written. Although there's a, so much work being done at the moment yeah. and amazing people mm-hmm. like Awayolu Incorporated who are bringing out more of yeah. our texts and things like that that were written firsthand by Hawaiians. And it's amazing. But if they hadn't written those things down, we wouldn't have that either. Yeah. And so that's a really good reminder to us. Mm. That we can't always give in to these traditional, well, I won't even say traditional, but these very Western systems systems and structures of measuring what's important and what's not. Right. We've there are times that we kind of gotta step out there and take mm-hmm. a chance and and do what feels right for us and, and trust that 
you know, it'll be a good thing for yeah. the future. Absolutely. But yeah, definitely a huge moment for me, huge mm -hmm. aha moment for me in my educational journey. Like, oh, what I say is important. Yeah. You know? I love that. And yeah, I really thank her for um, helping all of us. Yeah. And it it's cool because she was quite good friends with um, Linda Tuhiwai Smith. And so we had a lot of these ideas about that decolonizing our methodologies. Right. And that's really what it is. And I know that a lot of people like to use the term re-indigenizing our methodologies. So mm. however you like to see yeah. it, you know, it's... I mean, I understand deconstruction and I understand why people want to do it, but I would hope that there would also be as strong an emphasis on reconstruction as mm -hmm. well, because that's important too. Like, if you're going to deconstruct, uh, deconstruct things, more power to you, but also reconstructing things is important too. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Man, that's... Wow, <laughs> this has been a great conversation. Like, again, I anytime I have talks with you, I am always processing so much afterwards because there is so much truth and knowledge and like just aloha shared when you when we talk. And yeah, I am so grateful for this conversation, even just in terms of measures of success and that they do look different to everyone and that's okay and that there is no one size that fits all and that you're allowed to measure your success by your standards because um, really what we're aiming for is excellence. Mm. Not perfection, excellence, but also to go at the pace that you go at. You don't have to measure it off anyone else, just measure it off who you were yesterday and if you're doing better the next day mm. um, and so, the impact you're making as well exactly right? and huge I guess the fruits of your life as well mm. and um, seeing what that looks like around you as well because that is what keeps you humble what keeps you grounded um, but also what keeps you moving forward because as Basifika people as Polynesians we're very much all about our communities our villages our people and watching all of us move forward and strive together for better. Mm. Yeah. So thank you so much, Tita, for coming <laughs> in and sharing again. I oh, I am just always loving our conversations. They're the best. Um, I'm so honored you asked me in again. Thank you. <laughs> this is amazing. If you guys have any feedback or anything you want to share with us, or even if you have topics you'd like us to discuss, just hit us up via email at info at thelinkup.co.nz or DM us via TikTok or Instagram. Wow, today was amazing and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next week. So we'll see you next week at The Link Up. Aloha. This episode was proudly brought to you by Blue Wave TV. Executive producer, Fuimono Martin Anai. Executive producer and host, Anisha Ipinesa. Producers, Ryan Batsumaka, Hannah Schmidt, Daisy Dean Anai. Director, podcast and content creator, Anisha Epinesa. Editor, Ryan Batsumaka. Graphic designs, Ryan Batsumaka, Enola Baya. Set design, Daisy Dean Anai, Ryan Batsumaka, Hannah Schmidt, 
Anisha Ipenesa. Original music, Lightsaber. Special thanks to our production company, Blue Wave TV.